Welcome to Open to Criticism. I'm Wendy Lloyd. I'm a film critic, and this is my podcast about how we talk about movies, who gets to do it, and why it matters. My guest this week is critic Anna Smith. I get excited and thrilled, but also slightly jealous when I see younger women really brazenly writing feminist reviews for mainstream publications that I used to write for, that I never felt that I could take that tone with then. A hugely respected film critic, Anna has carved out an enviable freelance career working for everyone from the BBC to Time Out, Empire Magazine, Film 4, the list goes on. She's also played a central role in reinvigorating the Film Critic Circle, the UK professional critic body. Anna became chair of the film section of the Circle in 2014 and went on to establish the Critics Code Pledge that calls for critics to be paid for their work. She also launched diversity initiatives to address the Circle's heavily skewed demographic. For four years now, she's hosted her award-winning podcast, Girls on Film, which champions female filmmakers and critics and attracts a veritable who's who of top guests. Launching as it did at the end of 2018, when Me Too and Time's Up had gained worldwide momentum, I asked Anna whether the podcast was a direct response to these social movements. I think that was definitely one of the reasons for doing it. Actually, um, Girls on Film was an idea for a TV show that I had many years before, at least 10 years before. Um, but I'd been telling my agent, who's also a producer, Hedda Archbold, about this idea. And in the wake of Time's Up, she was saying, you know, let's have another go at making this happen. And why don't we do it as a podcast? Um, so we set this up together in 2018 and very quickly got involved with other organisations like Time's Up and people I was already speaking to like Bird's Eye View, you know, a lot of these kind of nascent sort of feminist film movements um, and with them and with the support from so many people in the industry and some fabulous listeners, it got off the ground. Yeah, it, I mean, and it's it's really just gone from strength to strength, and deservedly so. I mean, you you've had and you continue to have loads of star guests. You've had Kerry Mulligan on there, Brie Larson, Emma Thompson. You know, you name it, they're lining up to be on there, which is brilliant. And I can only imagine that female performers and filmmakers must just love getting to chat about their work, really, in a completely unapologetically feminist and female-friendly way. Definitely. One thing that I often hear is like, oh, I haven't actually been asked that question before, or they haven't asked me about this from, from that perspective before. I mean, people like Joanna Scanlon, Sarah Soleimani in the last year, I can think of saying that, um, you know, they, they do the sort of press junket. But I think to have these kind of very deep and nuanced and hopefully fun also conversations about feminism and what that looks like and diversity and inclusion, both on screen and behind the scenes, I think is very refreshing for most people that come on the pod. And what, what's really nice as well is that a lot of listeners, including men especially, have said it makes them think about film differently. And that's always so wonderful to hear. Yeah, well, that's what we're trying to do, isn't it, really? It's to kind of just kind of unpack some of the things that have been so taken for granted. And I think also what's important is the podcast highlights, um, you know, basically a lot of films that, you know, before you were doing the podcast would be very much overlooked elsewhere because, as we know, you know, important stories are always judged to be men's stories. They're male stories. They're male heroes. Um, and we've just been given unquestioningly less 
space. And, you know, it, it, it appears that, you know, you're able to really push that and champion those films in the podcast. That's certainly been the idea. I mean, one of the ideas was to, which we'll come on to more, I'm sure, is is to champion female film critics, but also uh, the, the female-centred films, whether they're made by women or by men, um, that tell stories that we don't see enough on screen or we don't hear enough of on screen. Um, so while we might often, we'll, we might do a special on Wonder Woman that everyone's heard of and just take a different angle on that, or we might champion a smaller art house female film like Baby Teeth, for example, which is just fantastic. And that was one film that every person we recommended that to was literally emailing us going, thank you so much. You know, and, and that makes me really happy when people have directly taken action and watched a film based on our hopefully intelligent discussion about it and then gone on to tell their friends and, and how we can help be a small part of helping that film gather the buzz and the word of mouth that it needs to be a success. Well, not least because I know that you're very big on on trying to encourage people to go to the cinema because, of course, an, another major issue is how long these particular films tend to stay in cinemas if they get a theatrical release at all. Yes, I think that is is an issue and it's something that I'm keenly aware of, that women's films in particular need support on the first weekend of release. That's something that the publicity machine knows very well, but I think even a lot of press aren't as aware of it um, as perhaps they might be because a film can be made or you know, or broken in its first couple of days. If it doesn't perform well enough, um, then it won't be back next weekend. Um, so... You know, and I can only apologise to those films that we've actually, unfortunately, not been able to to cover them weekend of release. But where we can, we try because I think you're absolutely right. That's a really important part of the support network is getting people out there on the Friday it comes out, voting with their feet for women's yes. films. Pandemics notwithstanding, of course. Of course, yes. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's very interesting in our, you know, when we were a year or so old for that to, to happen um, yeah. to us as a podcast. Um, and, it, and it presented as many opportunities as it denied us, to be honest, um, you know, as on a silver lining level. Obviously, we had tremendous access um, to A-listers around the globe who were sitting at home twiddling their thumbs. We did YouTube shows with the BFI um, and we were able to record more and get more people, bored people at home who were hopefully, I think, during the pandemic, finding a bit more space and time to engage with um, issues of equality, as we saw from, you know, the explosion of the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. I think hopefully quite a lot of people found themselves with that time to consider that. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, let's. You mentioned there, obviously, the role of critics in the podcast as well. You do invite critics onto the show. I've been fortunate enough to be invited a couple of times, and it's always uh, it's always fabulous to take part. Um, You're a wonderful guest, Wendy. Well, may I say? thank you so much. Um, now, of course, for years, and you and I have been female film critics for quite a long time. But for years, you know, very often we've been the token voice in a very white male-dominated world of criticism. And of course, they do still dominate. Um, but so how have you found the experience of immersing yourself in the podcast, being able to immerse yourself in opinions completely devoid of male input? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I've, I've loved it. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we do have men on the podcast and we have welcomed people like Bo Burnham on the podcast because he made a fantastic film about women, eighth grade. Absolutely. Uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar came on our Father's Day special, talk about being a feminist father. Um, so, you know, that's been lovely. But 
it it is a different space i think when women get together talking about film inherently um and it, it, there's a kind of shared understanding and unity and when thoughtful women come together and talk about film sometimes it goes in a feminist direction sometimes it's just great reviewing that mm. happens to come possibly from a slightly different perspective um you know for a different life experience and i think it's very valuable and i think certainly a lot of listeners really enjoy listening to women advising them on what to watch or at least analyzing what's available out there yeah it just comes from a slightly different place doesn't yeah. it i mean also of course we do have the research that shows that male critics review films tend to review films about and by women more harshly than women do whereas both male and female critics judge male stories equally positively. So, you know, there is this thing, isn't there, that women and critics of colour, we do have a central role to play in ensuring that those non-white male stories are not sidelined. But we do need the platforms to do them, and, and podcasting does seem to be a really good space for this. I've been so encouraged um, by how many young female film critics have come through in recent years and how many of them have been on our podcast. And then I hear them on other podcasts. I see them on TV. Fantastic. You know, that's that's so good. Obviously, there's a long way to go. Um, but I do think um, certainly the the explosion way before Girls on Film of social media has helped this as well. I think, yeah. you know, some young women have actually been spotted on Twitter or via their own blogs and such like um, and sort of recruited for, for good good roles. I mean, I know that's rare, but it has happened. And I think it's meant that people don't necessarily need to have gone what might have been seen as once the traditional route of you know, certain universities, certain journalism courses, um, you know, it's certain people that you know in order to get the jobs. Yeah, no, I think that's true, isn't it? It is this whole thing about different pathways to success and recognising that there are different pathways to becoming a film critic and therefore for those film critics to being um, valued and recognised as film critics. And, and we'll, we, I'm going to go on to um, some of the things you did in the film critics circle when you were chair uh, shortly, but let's let's kind of move on to um, your journey as a film critic. How long... Have you exactly been a film critic? Well, I started reviewing in, I think, 1998. So um, at that stage, I was uh, assistant editor at a women's magazine called Minx, which was um, quite forward-thinking <laughs> at times for its time, I think. Um, it was relatively short-lived, but I really enjoyed taking on the task of the film reviews there because bizarrely no one else seemed to want to do it bizarre um, and it, yeah, yeah and I was just like yes please you know and every night I was going out watching films and I just thought oh my gosh this is what I want to do yeah. and I then actually had a marvelous opportunity of, of the magazine folding and being made redundant um which gave me a cushion to go freelance and go okay let's give this a try uh, started writing for Empire, started writing for Time Out. Um, you know, it didn't immediately happen that way. I, I obviously started on lots of little obscure websites, really built up a reputation, built up my cuttings, um, knocked on a lot of doors. Um, but uh, yeah, wonderful. And then, you know, the thing is, once you get, you're out there and your quality writing is seen in, in Time Out, sight and sound start returning your calls and so on and so forth. And, 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 it, and it built it up from there. So having come from the world of kind of women's publishing, and I know that you did you you did a lot of music journalism, didn't you? You sort of wrote about club music, am I right? Yeah, I'm I, I used to... that conversation I used, that we've yeah, had? Yeah, we call dance music, but that can be misinterpreted. 
let's make better say this is raving. We're talking okay. about it's proper raving, <laughs> proper sweaty raving. nightclubs. <laughs> <laughs> Got your trainers on, um, you know, un- underground, uh, you know, techno trance, very cool, et- et basically, very yeah. cool, kind of grubby but cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm intrigued because you know you and I know what the world of film criticism is like, and there's an element of traditionalism in it. So how did you find? moving from that cool underground world into the world of film criticism? So different. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So different. I think that at first I was quite relieved, I think, because people are a lot more predictable and shy in the film criticism world. Yeah. Um, whereas, you, you know, when you're going out clubbing and dealing with club promoters and musicians, it can be wildly unpredictable. It can be very fun and very exciting, but you don't know what kind of personalities you're going to meet. But mm. um, going to screenings, I found everyone quite quiet, generally quite Reserved. civilized. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, mostly. Um, and um, certainly... Not necessarily more conservative, just really, just really, really different. You're right. Um, there's not much overlap between those worlds, and and then one thing had happened in the meantime, which was the internet. You know, when I was when I was at Minx, the internet happened. So, yeah, that that was a really big thing because I think dance music journalism would have been very different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. It, subsequently, but um, sort of area of film criticism doesn't come without its challenges as we will discuss but um in some ways i found it a little bit more stable let's say right yeah interesting yeah how did you navigate because this was something i was i felt very aware of when i started out was you know navigating the film canon and those kind of established voices and how they talked about and referenced things like, you know, you've got to have a detailed knowledge of Citizen Kane. You know, you should have probably had at least a glance at Battleship Potemkin. You know, (laughs) did you find when you kind of went into that world that your cinematic passions were naturally in line with the things that, you know, are to some and certainly back then were deemed more acceptable by those sort of respected white male voices? Or did you kind of have a sense you needed to shake up your knowledge base in film? I definitely didn't feel that I conformed to uh, the typical kind of, um, whether it's a stereotype or reality, the type of person that I was meeting and their type of experience and the films that they had seen and the perceived canon and what you're expected to have seen. Um, Partly because I think, you know, I spent my university time going out. You know, I, did, I, I didn't have a huge back catalogue of reference for films, but I knew that I loved writing about them. And the more, of course, that I wrote about them, the more knowledge I amassed. Um, but I definitely did feel, and I hope this doesn't exist as much now, because I do think we're talking around this a bit more, but I do think there was a sense of like, as you say, oh, if you haven't seen certain films and certain invariably male directors from a certain era, then you can't really be taken seriously as a film Mm. critic. I'm not saying everyone thinks that, but there was definitely an element of that. And of course, it's really important. You know, I think the more films I watch, the the better I become at at what I'm doing, you know, but, um, and and I often, you know, try to do a classic movie night every Sunday and, you know, gradually watch some (laughs) wonderful stuff that I hadn't seen before. And, and, you know, when you're doing that for 20 years, you, you get you get pretty good at it. Well, exactly. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Seeing more films and increasing your knowledge base is all important. I suppose the questions, you know, who gets to decide what those important stories and films are? Um, and I think it sounds like for you, you've um, 
much like myself, you've just kind of said, well, I'm going to have my own journey. I'm, I'm going to not feel that, you know, I have to watch certain things and, or, and, and that my opinion is valid without that. But obviously not disregard historical knowledge and classic films because that, you know, that wouldn't be helping either. Definitely. I think it's about getting that balance um, because I'm sure we've both read um, people who've written about films without any knowledge of that genre whatsoever and that's not necessarily very helpful um it's good to come from a really informed place or as formed as informed as possible um and there's endlessly fascinating films um, if you if you plunder the back catalogues but also i'm i'm have specific types of interest in film and a lot of those tend to be more contemporary i mean obviously the kind of things that we're looking at on girls on film tend to be about uh, more progressive attitudes and and you know in the last couple of decades in general we find more films of interest although there are of course exceptions yes absolutely um so we 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 mentioned earlier a little bit about you know me too times up blm and coming into the equation that's obviously changed mainstream conversations including those about film um but i wonder how for you you know interesting because you know you're now doing this very much feminist film podcast how much has the you know these social movements and the, and the shift in discourse how has that changed things personally for you in terms of your criticism i mean i suppose what i'm asking is when you started out would you have thought of yourself as writing from a feminist perspective i think i would because Going back further, at university, one of my favourite subjects um, when I read English was gender and popular culture. So I think the seeds of girls on film were probably sown right there. Yeah. Um, And we watched Thelma and Louise and Basic Instinct, and we analysed both of those very different films. Great. um, Which were contemporary (laughs) at the time, and that was fascinating to me, and I I absolutely loved that. And and I would definitely have called myself a feminist while at university, definitely. And then, of course, I was started out writing for a women's magazine, so I was writing from a female perspective, um, whether or not it, I wouldn't say it would be anywhere near the kind of feminism that would work its way into my work now, but I would certainly be looking at things, you know, will this appeal to women and will this make women feel good about themselves? And did you feel that you could express that um, when you were first starting out? Because I would say personally, and, and this is what fascinates me, is was this just my own issue in doing this um, you know, did I perceive that I would be judged or was that just an insecurity on my part? Because I felt like I couldn't really talk in those terms until more recently. And now I feel super confident doing so. And it's partly to do with getting older, partly because I've then myself gone and done, you know, some academic research and looked into inequalities, etc. Um, but partly it's because of Me Too, etc., feeling like it's given me permission and that it won't be such a shock. And, it's, and not least, it's harder for people to, to stop me banging on about it because we're allowed to now. I would echo everything you just said. It's funny. Yeah, I have exactly the same response. And and sometimes I, I, I get excited and thrilled, but also slightly jealous when I see younger women really <laughs> brazenly writing feminist um, reviews for mainstream publications that I used to write for, that I never felt that I could take that right. tone with exactly then. Um, I think when I was writing for Sight and Sound in the early noughties, I could certainly take a feminist perspective there because it was almost like what like what I was doing at university. It was, you know, it was very analytical and academic, and that that was no problem. Um, but I think for more mainstream titles um, and, and and also on on broadcast as well, um, what I've actually be, really loved recently is that because I, I do quite a lot on BBC News and Sky News, as you know, and um, I'm getting asked so many more 
what I would call actual feminist questions from the newsreader who is interviewing me. Um, when Great. It, that was never the topic before. No, never. Absolutely. I'm, there, I'm there talking about Top Gun, you know, from Cannes on Zoom with a female presenter on Sky News. And she's asking me, don't you think there's an issue with the female love interest here? This is on mainstream TV. I'm like, yeah. yes, this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. People wouldn't have asked those questions before, but now it's, we're, we're starting to, well, that's starting to become taken for granted and, m- and more may it happen that way. Absolutely. Um, let's move on then to your time as chair of the Film Critics Circle film section. You um, took over that role in 2014. You were only the second woman to have done so. You still remain the second only woman. Dillis Powell did it, of course, many, many years previously. Um, whilst you were doing that, you campaigned for the Critics Code, a pledge for pay, ensuring, of course, that critics get paid. And that's, I mean, that's kind of key, isn't it, when it comes to improving inclusivity in criticism, because it basically means that all critics are respected and literally, quite literally valued, not just those with the very top jobs in criticism, who, as we know, are still very much white and male. It means that other people, they can't kind of take advantage of people climbing up the ladder. I think it's absolutely critical to preserve the future of criticism, um, not just for ourselves, but for those who come after us and for the listeners and the readers and the viewers, um, that critics are paid, as you say. And um, one of the reasons, as you suggest, is that it cannot just be people who can afford to do it as a hobby, because that may, that's got um, sort of social class implications, as well as also the quality implications, I think. Um, You know, it has to be people who um, are able to devote themselves to it, preferably full time. And I think that's why they need to be paid. You know, this is a job. This is expertise. And I have been thrilled by the amount of critics out in and outside of the circle who signed that pledge because I know a lot of us, um, actually particularly women perhaps, have found it hard to say, oh, and what's the fee for that? Yeah. Can you just tell me what the fee is? Um, and if, if peop- you know, if websites and, and broadcasters can exploit people and get them to suffer free, of course they will. Um, so we all owe it to each other. So each time just simply go, and is there a fee? And if they say no, um, now I'm, I'm privileged enough to be able to say no to things. And I understand that when you want to get your name out there, it's difficult to say no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do encourage people to quote the pledge for pay. And if they really want you, quite often they will come back to you and you'll get another phone call. Oh, I'm speaking to my boss. <laughs> and then, then they'll say, yes, okay. I mean, you might lose a gig. I can force you that. I understand not everyone can. Um, but I think it sends a very strong message out And it helps to mean that um, the people that need to get paid the most, which is the young upcoming ones who really need the cash, hopefully will get paid. Absolutely. And I think it's also really important in this um, day and age where because of social media and, and, and fame and celebrity culture, I think it's very easy for people to think, oh, well, you know, you know, it's a fun job, but it's a fun thing to do. That should be enough. You know, this 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 message that there has been to do towards the arts in recent years in general, sort of trying to suggest that if you do something that you love, you shouldn't be remunerated properly for it. And, you know, I think it's true that, the, you know, setting up that pledge um, kind of just positions the circle and says well in film criticism we're not going to you know be be pushed aside really in that way well it's about unity isn't it and it's about coming together and you know the same way that I feel the podcast is actually is just um unifying people and uh, if we all support each other and if we all believe in the same I mean 
we're critics. We don't all believe in the same thing. <laughs> That's one of the challenges <laughs> of, of running in a critic circle. Um, but also, I think a large volume of us in the film section, at least, believe in getting paid. Yes, <laughs> so I that's one that's thing true. we can yes. agree on. We've all got that in common, haven't we? We would <laughs> exactly. quite like to be paid. That that's would be good. Nice to get money, isn't it? <laughs> yes, indeed. So you stepped down from the Critics Circle in 2020, but your time there—it's really interesting when you look at 2014 to 2020. You you straddled the whole Me Too thing, kicking off, times up. Um, so, in terms of when you look at that post specifically. Was did did you feel like there was quite a big change in what you were able to do, perhaps what you wanted to do in the circle, you know, in a sort of pre Me Too and then Me Too era kind of comparison? I think you can only really think of these things when you look back yeah. um, in hindsight. I think at the time you're not going, oh gosh, something suddenly shifted. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was also the president of, of the whole circle for a couple of years Um and uh, which which has many other members, including sort of music and theatre, um, and I did experience some some quite um, let's say uh, non feminist attitudes. Right. For example, when I became chair and I wanted to be known as chair rather than chairman, you wouldn't believe the kind of debate that that we had about this. Really? Oh yeah. Um, wow. Y- you know, s- some some older male members just saying. Well, it's absolutely don't be don't be ridiculous, don't be absolutely ridiculous. It would be silly, you know. They, they, there was definitely an attitude that it was just like trivial and splitting hairs, and and and, and everyone knows what it means, and everyone knows it's unisex. Well, it's not because it says man. Shall yes. I call you a chairwoman? What? How do you feel about that? It says um, man, and indeed, it's <laughs> been all men by you and one other woman exactly. in in a over hundred year history. So. <laughs> So I think, you know, this is all, you know, they're all very nice guys and genial. Um, It's not like a big fight or anything. It's just, you know, I was constantly having to chip away with some people, this kind of attitude. Um, And I'm I'm very pleased that I I stood my ground. Well, of course I could stood my ground and call myself what I jolly well liked. Um, (laughs) But um, most people supported that. And I actually think, and when you say what's changed, and I think now, nobody would challenge a woman you know it's only a few years later but I don't think anyone would challenge a woman who said I want to be called chair not chairman now yeah it's true isn't it yeah Yeah. that is a big difference so you literally you were having that conversation before me too etc and then now looking back on it it would feel a bit churlish well churlish at the very least to for people to kind of have a problem with that so in terms of like just doing the job, um, did it, yeah, did it, does it feel when you look back that you, you took it on for one reason and then it became something else or did it become very much the kind of the post that you'd kind of anticipated? I'm, when I, when I join, I really join and, and I kind of maybe take over a little bit, but hopefully also because I'm a people person and I get quite frustrated if I think there are things that could be better that are not getting better and you know no disrespect to my predecessors because it's a tough job and everyone has different kind of focuses um so people before me did a great job focusing on certain areas but for me I really wanted to kind of ha- have a more supportive atmosphere where all the critics came together and communicated more with each other so I don't think I went in with a feminist agenda or anything like that um but I think the whole idea of getting us to be more 
trying to get us to know understanding not just of each other but of the all the wider group of people that we work with such as publicists the majority of whom are women and have not historically always had the best relationships with all the critics and I and I thought that was something that really needed working on which I did try to work on um but also you know towards the as time went on I do um remember periodically it would come up in meetings people saying why are there not enough critics of color um that you know there, there were certain people that were constantly asking this quite rightly um and i know i remember people some people saying well it's just i don't think i don't think enough people want to be critics in that wow. culture or whatever and and obviously that's incorrect um so with the help of people like Kaleem Aftab um and another people on the membership committee including yourself Wendy um over the years i tried to help um kind of encourage um a more diverse membership which um has happened to a small extent um but we obviously is an ongoing issue absolutely i mean it is it, but i mean yes i think you're i think you're um you're underestimating the impact you had there because i think you know the fact that you specifically set out to kind of look at improving diversity and the numbers are improving and it was very much a concerted effort on your part and and as you said but respond you know responding to people who are saying um we really need to look at this and and, and it's it, it, it's 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 long overdue um but of course you know as we know it's imp- it's, it's about getting more different critics of colour and more female critics and more non-binary critics and trans critics and all these people to be, you know, voices that, that come together. But it's 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 also the issue with diversity is so complicated, isn't it? Because it's not just a numbers game. It's about the way we do things. And, you know, just you saying about the issue with the chairman, chairperson kind of question, it's about changing some of those taken for granted structures um, in criticism. And it's, I mean, it's a big task really isn't it it is i don't know if you came to this i can't recall but um i organized um an unconscious bias training or rather it's sort of inclusivity um and representation training um within the circle at large and that's actually one of the best attended events we've ever had so that was really good and this was quite some years ago um when those sort of words weren't as sort of bandied about as they are now um I mean, I, I don't know how much I can say because it, it's a confidential event for members only, but I will say that I found it, I was really glad that it happened because I hope that enough people there took away some useful information that helped them challenge some of their preconceptions and used some more inclusive language in their writing. Um, but there was definitely um, some, also some tension in the room be- between the different generations, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, these things are progressive. It's about, you know, progressive in terms of how they progress. Um, it, it takes time, but conversations sort of slowly shift the way people think, don't they? And that's what the idea of this podcast is, is to really make people think about, um, you know, that not only the culture they consume, the films they watch, but also the criticism they consume, which influences the things they watch and the things that they appreciate and and just questioning who's doing it and and what perspectives are are they getting you know handed to them and which ones come much more overwhelmingly than others so it's it takes time but it's i, I think it's it, it it must feel good for you to know that you did that time at the um film section at a time when so much change was going on and you know it, it being more inclusive in the circle at the point at which you left that must feel you must be proud of that 
Oh, I am. And, and thank you for your kind words about it. Um, yeah, I, I, of course. And I, I, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to try to make a difference and that there was a time in which it was possible to do so. Um, and I look at the membership now and it does look very different. And, and I'm excited to see who the next female <laughs> chair will be, <laughs> which I hope won't be too long. Um, you know, because I think there's some great candidates there. Um, and I think it was kind of a very specific time in history, as you say, and, I, and actually just today looking around a screening room and seeing all the young women there who were members. And I was thinking how that room would have just five years ago been mostly male dominated. That made me smile. Yeah, absolutely. I think, And I think that is important for people to understand that it really is quite recently that a lot of the changes have come and, and everything coming together like the internet for, you know, the opportunities for different outlets rather than it being very much, you know, the, the gatekeepers of traditional media. Um, all these things have shifted quite quickly. So I suppose, you know, we can be quite optimistic, I would hope. I think so. That's certainly what we embrace our girls on film is optimism because everyone I get on um who's who whatever they do in the industry they can always um offer some hope and some signs of improvement and some ways in which things have really moved on just in the last few years um so i think it is a really exciting time for feminism in film um and i think in criticism definitely moving in the right direction anna smith and you can hear anna each week on the Girls on Film podcast, which we'll be recording next week's episode this coming Saturday, March 25th, at the Cinemagic on the Pulse Short Film Festival in Belfast, with guests that include Sally Phillips and Ronnie Ancona. That's it for this week. Next week, I talk to Kathy Ray, a journalist and author who covers, amongst many other topics, disability and pop culture. When they cast uh, Eddie Redmayne as Stephen Hawking, and he was obviously non-disabled at the beginning and then uh, became disabled by the end, you know, that's a great excuse for Hollywood not to, not to cast somebody disabled, right? I, I, I definitely have thoughts about that kind of stuff as well. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe and rate the show. Open to Criticism is written, produced and presented by me, Wendy Lloyd, with original music by Hamish Clark. Thanks for listening.